I never heard from the pulpit anything about, you know, somebody that had actually been there, was actually struggling, had actually found healing, um, you know, specifically on the topic of homosexuality. It was always just, you know, it's a perversion, literally, you know, the word was perversion. Yeah. Um, it's an abomination in the sight of the Lord. I think back now and I just, you know, again, you know, the coulda, woulda, shoulda, you know, doesn't do a whole lot of good, but it is worth bringing up because there's other young mm -hmm. people, there's other 13 year olds out there right now while we're talking about this, right? we're dealing with this. If I had heard just once somebody such as yourself or somebody, you know, anybody just honestly talking about, you know, this is what I dealt with. This is what God helped me with. It is okay to bring this before the Lord, you know, just even just little crumbs like that could have been. Could have, could have changed the world for me. I do remember the one thing that came up right away. I mean, pretty quickly, what, I think even maybe the very first time we talked was how much you despised who you were as a child and, and just how, yeah, and how you had really disconnected uh, in, in, in every way. It wasn't just that you didn't like yourself. It wasn't just that you, um, you know, had kind of a neutral feeling, but you really hated the little boy you really hated who you were as a child and the vulnerability but you took it on as as so much of it you took on as really almost like it was your fault on the one hand you understood that other people did things that were very wrong but on the other hand it was like the person who you most despised in all of those situations was yourself he absolutely insists for a lot of this that it be done in community. I wanted the mountaintop. I wanted to just, okay, God, fine. I'll talk to you about all of this. I'll just me and you on a mountain somewhere and I'll pray all this stuff out and you can wave a magic wand and heal me. And, you know, I'm okay with that. Please don't ask me to have to talk about this with people. No, there are some things God will do right. for us one-on-one, -on -one, but for the most part, Jesus insists that a lot of this stuff be done within his body, within the Christian, within community. Healthy brothers and sisters, of course, use, use good discernment, but he... It's not negotiable. It's not, okay, well, maybe yeah. possibly. Well, hey, everybody, we want to welcome you to this episode of the Love and Truth Network podcast. So excited to have you with us. And I'm excited also to have Jeremiah here with us today to share with you, to share with me some of his story and just different parts of how God has been at work in his life, uh, how the Lord brought him through some really deep waters. I'll let him share his own story and not get into that uh, in front of him. But we also just want to have a conversation today about so many of the topics that we discuss in our podcast here at Love and Truth Network with regard to sexuality, with regard to identity confusion, and, and things even outside of that, obviously. But Jeremiah, welcome. Thanks for being a part of this podcast yes, today. Yes, Gary, good morning. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. The thing I'd love for you to share, Jeremiah, is you know, whenever we have somebody on our program uh, that's a, a guest for the first time, we always ask them if they'd be willing to share their testimony of how they met Jesus, what God has been doing in their life, and a little bit of that journey of coming uh, to faith and, and the transformation that's taken place in that surrender to Christ. So if you'd be willing to share that with us, we'd love to hear that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I was born here, uh, Phoenix, Arizona in 1978. Um, and we lived here for, I think I was four, four and a half. And then my mother got a job in Northern Arizona, small, small town up there, the 
northwestern part. So I uh, moved up there when I was four uh, and lived up there until I was 17 years old. So that's kind of the starting out. Uh, single mother household. So I have two older half brothers from her first marriage. Um, and then I came along uh, eight years, eight years later in uh, 78. So obviously a big age difference there between the two. No, fa- their father wasn't around. Mine wasn't around ever. I mean, he literally, <laughs> she got pregnant. He was out of there and that was the end of that. So, um, you know, and I do, I do want to be fair and I do want to give my mother credit. You know, she was a single mom for three boys, um, one income in the early eighties. It's not as if she was a nurse. It's not as if nurses made a whole lot of money back then. So I do want to be very fair mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and acknowledge that, you know, she didn't have it easy. She always worked. She always held a job. Um, things were tight, but you know, it's not, we never starved. There was never anything like that. So I do want to make that clear, but, um, at the same time, you know, so there were, there was two big challenges that I faced as a child. So even before we had moved, I'm talking three and a half, four, four and a half years old, uh, my oldest sibling. So there was some sexual abuse there with him by himself. Um, a couple of times he would advise some neighbor kids over. And anyway, I won't get into some of the specific acts, but, you know, honestly, some, those are some of the earliest memories that I have. And, you know, I've often thought, you know, I, I've spoken to other people and they, well, I don't remember or things are just a blank. And I've almost thought it, well, it'd be easier if it, <laughs> if it were that way. But for me, that was never the case. Yeah. You know, I can remember pretty, pretty graphically mm. um, some of the things that went on there. And even after we'd moved, you know, thankfully, at least there's no other neighbor kids in the picture at this point, but there was still one-on-one activities that went on for a while. Um, I did when I was about five, five and a half, I did finally tell my mother what had been going on with him. And, um, and this is something that was a little harder to forgive. You know, she just, she just kind of dismissed it, kind of dismissed it. And then, well, okay, we're never going to talk about this again. You are not to tell anybody in the family and you're not to tell any of your teachers at school about this. This just, it was something to that effect, but just the fact mm. was it was just not going to be discussed period. So thankfully he did stop at least as far as that goes. Um, so maybe she did say something to him, maybe not, I don't know, but the the sexual activity stopped around that point. But um, as far as my mom goes, I mean, there was, um, unfortunately, there was a lot there too. Um, the many years have passed and I, you know, I finally had, even with your help, um, in some instances, you know, I had to face the fact that my mother was sexually abusive as well. Now, it wasn't like some graphic, you know, actual intercourse or something like that going on. I'm not trying to imply that, but um, there, a whole lot leading up to that. And that was really hard to face, you know, and the other thing with her was, and, and again, you know, as a child, this was just how it was. I didn't recognize it, but there was a lot of just a very inappropriate enmeshment with her, you know, and I, and again, I, I try so hard to be fair. You know, she was a single mom. Um, she was very, very, very lonely. My mother was a very lonely woman, um, small little town up there, not a whole lot of dating prospects, but she really in effect tried to make me into, to be the little husband. I mean, even as a, as a child, I mean, emotionally depending on me, um, the few boyfriends that she did have, they, these, these were all married men. My mom was the other woman all the time. And this is from when I was a kid up until the day she died, she was the other woman to a married man in the relationship. And she, but mm. she would tell me about their sex life. She could tell me about, you know, when are they going to leave their wives? When is this going to happen? When is that going to happen? Um, you know, she's having conflicts with the family. I would have to hear about that too. Financial stuff. I had to handle calls from bill collectors. There was a couple times the power got turned off and she, so she would feed me, you know, okay, this is what you tell them and then tell them this and tell them this. But then she's got me on the phone as a child calling these people because she just didn't want to have anything to do with that. So yeah, that was a lot harder. Um, to deal with just this pressure, you know, and and I don't want to go into a whole self-pity thing. You know, I don't want to, Oh, woe is me. But at the same time, you know, in a lot of ways, I didn't really have a childhood between my brother and the stuff that happened there between, you know, the, the pressure that my mom put on me to be, you know, to be the freaking husband in the household, even though I was the youngest. I mean, 
and I've had to come through a lot of forgiveness and a lot of, um, you know, God's really had to take me through. And I'm talking some very hard hearted places, um, just remembering how, mm. how bad all that got. But so that was happening. But then also, you know, in terms of sexuality, um, you know, compulsive masturbation. I mean, I'm eight years old when that starts. And, and Gary, I mean, this was bad. I don't want to get graphic here, but I'm, I'm saying from then on, it was at least once a day, sometimes multiple times a day, seven days a week. And that went on for years. So that happened. I discovered hardcore pornography when I was 12. Um, and it took, and it's crazy, you know, that's been 30 something years ago and I can still clear as clear as day. I can still remember that first, you know, grainy right. <laughs> 1980s, you know, VCR pornographic, but it was triple X stuff. And I can still remember it uh, clear as day. And that's all it took. Mm. I mean, one time and then the hook was set. And I mean, I'm, I'm looking for it everywhere after that school computers, you know, HBO, Cinemax, whatever. I mean, I was finding anywhere I could find that. Um, and then I'm sexually active at 13. So I was never into drugs. I was never into alcohol. I mean, I partied a little bit as a teenager, but for the most part, you know, those were never my issue. My oldest brother ended up with a very severe drug addiction. Um, he's in and out of the house even. So he joined the Navy for a couple of years. So I got a reprieve from him. But then after he got out, not holding down a job, not able to live on his own. So he was in and out of the house, constantly live with us for months or years at a stretch. And mom would always let him move back in. No, there was no discussion mm -hmm. about it. He was going to live there, but he had a drug problem. So that was, um, him and her colliding. It was like two volcanoes hitting sometimes. So just a lot of brokenness, a lot of confusion there. And my way of dealing with things, you know, like I said, I wasn't a drinker. I wasn't drugs. I wasn't anything, but it was sex. It was rather masturbation, pornography, sexually acting out with, um, with other kids my age. And I was, I got pretty promiscuous pretty early on. So that was my go-to at the same time. Um, and I'm thankful for it. You know, I'd always had a hunger for God. I mean, and this is not me bragging or trying to boast right now, but I'm, I'm just trying to be honest, you know, even as a kid, you know, I'm reading the Bible. I can remember mm -hmm. reading the old Testament and this and that. And I, you know, I'd, I would, I would always ask my mom if she would take me to church and she just, it just wasn't her thing, but I did have a young couple that would pick me up for church on Sunday morning. So they would take me to a little Baptist church up there. And I got saved when I was 13. And, and that, that's a watershed moment. You know, I, I was a very, very introverted, not drawing attention to myself, um, very reserved child by that point for me to go forward in front of this whole church and dedicate my yeah. life and everything. That was definitely yeah. the Holy spirit. Cause there was no chance that that was going to happen otherwise, but that was, um, one of the best memories that I have. So saved at yeah. 13 and I, and I was honest about it. You know, I wanted to be, I wanted to, in my little mind at, you know, 13 years old, you know, what does a Christian look like? How should I be living? And I had a authentic desire for that. So I have that on the one hand, I'm into porn I'm acting out with other boys. I'm dealing with same sex attraction by that point. And that was just, nobody was going to know about that. I mean, if there's anything that, you know, any shameful secret that nobody was ever going to find out in a million years, it was that. So, um, so it, it, I, I had these two, two different pressures going on at the same time and trying to figure out how to navigate that. So the solution was, you know, I, I great little actor that I became, you know, I was this goody two shoes acting, um, you know, pretentious, you know, good little Christian boy, um, pretending to be this during the day. But then at night, you know, I have these other things going on. And even, you know, even as a teenager, I already felt the hypocrisy and I already felt, um, you know, a lot of self-condemnation. There was no, there wasn't a whole lot of denial at that point. I couldn't delude myself. I mean, I knew the way that I was living was wrong, but couldn't stop. Did, didn't know how to, you know, really how to step into victory in Christ because, actually getting healthy versus keeping up the appearance of being healthy. The appearance was more yeah. important. And that was the way that I lived until, mm -hmm. you know, for years until about, I, I was 17 when I left home. Um, 
things at home that year got, I mean, they had always been bad, but I mean, they, it, it got very, very, that, that was a bad year for me. I'll just say that that was a very bad year. Um, almost committed suicide that year. Um, a lot of emotional, a lot of emotional turmoil. I think everything just kind of boiled up to this crescendo and I was used to holding things in, but I just couldn't deal anymore. So, but that unfortunately did not drive me back to Jesus. That drove me even deeper into sexual promiscuity and sexual acting out. And, you know, and to this day, you know, I have to be very thankful to the Lord because, you know, Gary, statistically, probability wise, you know, I should have been arrested at some point or gotten HIV or, you know, I could have been raped. I could have, who knows, gotten into an abusive relationship with somebody. I mean, Mm -hmm. these I'm dancing in the middle of the flames and these are all things that could have happened, but the Lord saved me from that. And I'll be always be grateful for that. But so that was the early years. And then, uh, I was able to move in with a young, with, uh, I, I consider them my godparents at this point, a young couple of the same people that had taken me to church when I was young, because my mother couldn't be bothered, but they would pick me up every Sunday morning. And then they let me move into their home for over a year. And I got, um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't perfect, but I got my, I got my feet back on uh, under me. I got reestablished in Christ. I went through some recovery materials, uh, moved out, moved to a different town, um, Lakeside, Arizona, um, met this young lady that was going to be my future wife there later on. So we had, uh, we ended up getting married. We had a couple awesome kids, um, that came along in the picture. So things were good. Things were, you know, I thought things were better. You know, I've got this great life now. All my stuff is behind me, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, you know, a Christian's supposed to forgive. So Christian forgiveness means, okay, bury it all, pretend like it never happened, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm sure I don't need to tell you of all people that that's not exactly a recipe for successful healing or a recipe for, mm-hmm. um, really anything. You know, I never dealt with my stuff. I, I go into this marriage and I'm dragging all of this baggage with me years and years and years of it. Never dealt with anything. So after my mother passed away in 2006, um, it really started by that point, even, you know, before she had died, but I was really starting to understand at a deeper level, just how abnormal growing up with her was. And just, I didn't see the full picture, but a lot of resentments coming up, you know, how, how, how do you do that to a kid? Why was it my responsibility as a seven-year-old to be your little freaking husband? You know, why is it my responsibility at 15 and you're trying to put financial pressure on me to help you pay bills? I mean, all these scenarios would go through my mind. And then, um, you know, definitely with mm-hmm. my oldest brother, same thing. So after she passed away, I com- I mean, just completely fell apart. Back into pornography, headfirst back into that. And I mean, this turned into an everyday thing. Um, angry all the time. Angry at my wife. Just um uh, just not dealing with stuff and and things went downhill quickly. So um, thankfully I got involved with some Christian men's groups after a while. We can talk more about that later. If you'd like met you at some point, Um, that was a big watershed moment, but it lit. I'm 37 years old before I actually authentically started to deal with some of my stuff. And it took a long time, pretty much dragged kicking and screaming by the Lord, but um, a lot of wasted. No, I shouldn't say wasted years because I I had an awesome family. I've got two beautiful kids, but for the most part, um, healing could have come a lot sooner and my life could be very different now if I'd been willing instead of, nope, keep up the appearance and that's all that matters. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jeremiah, for sharing all that. I mean, it's, it's so important for us to be hearing one another's stories. And I just want to mention that your long form story, uh, your testimony is on our website as well. It's most of us who have done our testimonies, they've, they've easily run for 40, 45 minutes. And, and we realize many people are not going to listen to a testimony that, that, that is that long, but those who are really wrestling and those who connect with and identify uh, pieces and parts of our story with their own life, 
they, many of them don't have many resources or they, they're living in remote areas. They don't have a ministry around them. They don't feel safe in their own church at this point to, to really be known. And so for many, there's a longing to hear those stories that aren't just, uh, you know, pretty quick and summarized. And so we have that long form story on our website for anybody who would like to hear more about Jeremiah's story and, and some of the um, more specifics around that. So one of the things though, Jeremiah, there's, there's, there's parts and pieces of what you, you mentioned in your story that I just want to uh, kind of dialogue with you about a little bit. One of the things you, you talked about was, and you mentioned it several times, was that, uh, that idea that, um, that image was more important than genuine healing, that uh, the idea, the need to keep up an image, the need to, uh, to look like you had it all together. And one of the things you and I know, one of the things we've talked about a lot, and certainly Melissa and I talk about in our conferences and speaking, et cetera, is that, um, the, the church, most churches actually, and I believe it's completely unintentional. It's a, it's actually paradoxical in many ways, but they actually tend to foster uh, that that double living, or they tend to foster people who who are putting an image forward that are trying to clean everything up and present themselves as best as they possibly can. And and meanwhile, it's really inauthentic because what's actually going on in the background, what's going on in their private space, what's going on with pornography magazines or with um, the, the computer or with um, uh, sexual sin with other people, et cetera, that, that's still being lived out by so many in the church. But can you talk a little bit about that wrestling and that struggle to, to maintain appearances? Like, what, what do you feel like that was rooted in? Um, there's a couple of things there. So, um, you know, again, this is a small little Mormon town that, okay, let me rephrase that, Gary. That, that didn't sound right. Um, I don't like Springerville, but I don't want to come across sure. like that. <laughs> so there was a lot of things there, Gary, um, you know, growing up in a very small town, very religious community, mid eighties, early nineties, um, you know, anything having to deal with sexuality period was shameful, you know, let alone, you know, a young kid that's dealing with same sex attraction on top of that. Um, it, and I don't want to bat, you know, seem like I'm bashing my family here, but there was a lot of family pressure, um, on that as well. Mm-hmm. It was very much about, we're not going to discuss things. Things are, you know, nothing's going to be in the light. Nothing's ever going to really get talked about. Just this, this was just the family culture that I grew up in with my immediate family. But, you know, even with as much as I love them, you know, my grandparents, aunts, uncles, this is just how things went there. So I think that there was a part of that. And along with all that, Gary, you know, one very painful memory that I do have is, um, you know, I'm, I'm having breakfast one morning with a couple, let's just say very, very close to me, you know, the good memories that I do have of childhood, were being with these people, you know, that their house was the safe space. Their house was um, where I could just be a kid. So very, very good memories. They're very important to me. Um, but we're having breakfast together one morning and they're just having a discussion kind of going back and forth. And it gets mentioned about somebody's grandson had recently come out as gay or something like that. Um, but the man had said, you know, there is nothing in the world that is dirtier to me than a homosexual. He was, he was just happened to mention that to his wife, but I'm there listening and, you know, hearing that from him of all people, you know, somebody that of anybody on this planet that I looked up to. Yeah, that, that was a hard one. So that just kind of reinforced to me, keep my effing mouth shut. This is not to be discussed. Nobody can find out about this. Um, so there was, a you know, so I think a lot of that was fostered there, but if we're, I owe you and I owe the audience honesty here as well. So it started there. I can understand that as a child. Um, that's what I learned. That's what I grew up in. But later on, Gary, this, this was a pride thing. 
this was completely a pride thing. It was okay. Not mm-hmm. only do I not feel the freedom to, to be able to do this. Heck no, I'm not freaking telling anybody else about that. That's nobody else's business. So, um, you know, I've got mm-hmm. this beautiful family making some pretty good money. We've got a nice house. We're driving the cars. We've got this, you know, supposedly the white picket fence. That was, that was the image that I wanted to project. And there was no way at church, out of church. No, nobody else's business. But here's the problem yeah. with that. And I don't know, um, you know, if I'm unique in this or, uh, or if I just kind of took it to the extreme, but not only was I not being honest, not only, okay, I'm addicted to porn on the one hand behind closed doors, totally speaking outside of both sides of my mouth, totally a hypocrite, but even, you know, publicly facing, you know, I cringe about it now, you know, I'm arrogant, I'm abrasive. Um, if I didn't like you, you were going to know about it pretty, pretty quickly. Judgmental, just, you know, I have, I am the last person that should be casting stones at anybody, but I mean, I was the most self-righteous judgmental. Um, I can understand now. I always used to wonder, you know, why did Jesus get so upset at the Pharisees? I kind of get it, but man, he really, he really went off on them. I understand that now because that was totally me. I'm to this day. I wish some of the people that I interacted with, I could ask forgiveness for because I was just, um, I was an a-hole. I really, really was uh, not abusive, nothing like that. But I mean, I was very much the quintessential hypocritical, arrogant, holier than thou, quote unquote, Christian. And that's where my shame took me. That's where my brokenness took me. I mean, if you had met me 10 years ago, you would have been like, okay, 10 minutes around this guy. And I don't even want to, I don't even want to be in the same space. So I don't know if I'm unique in that or not, but I, I know that that was very much my life for most of my adulthood, at least was the appearance is more important. Keep that going whatever I'm dealing with in private, nobody, A, because there's a lot of, yeah, authentic shame, authentic fear around all of that, but also my freaking pride, my ego. I want to maintain these people thinking that I'm just this, have it all together, heterosexual, beautiful wife at home, awesome kids, has everything together, defied the odds, you know, grew up in poverty, but look at everything that he's got going on now. That's the fable that I wanted the world to believe. You've talked about uh, pride playing a role in it for sure as you got older. You also talked about the reality of shame and fear playing a role for sure. We often talk about uh, shame, pride, and fear, all three working together in a sense to reinforce one another that whatever we're dealing with, whether it's a sexual sin issue or it's some other area of bondage or struggle, uh, we tend to those three things can work together to to really drive us into silence and to, and to have great um, inhibition about opening up and sharing anything with anyone. And yet, that's exactly what the Christian life is about. It's about walking in the light with with uh, Jesus. It's about walking in the light with others and having genuine fellowship with Him. So, and with others. The um, but the other thing I'm wondering is, I wonder it, it just if you imagine for a moment what it would have been like to be in the church that you were going to, where you became a Christ follower at 13, what would it have been like if you had heard someone share about uh, overcoming areas of sin struggle, uh, whether that was pornography or, or an affair that happened and God healed a marriage or, you know, whatever it would, I'm assuming that you didn't hear anything like that in the church setting that you were in, even though it felt like a safe place. I mean, you enjoyed, you wanted to be in church. 
I wanted to be in church. Um, and, you know, to be fair, you know, I can't say, well, nobody would nobody would have helped me because I never took the initiative to actually speak to anybody. But to address your specific point, you know, I never heard from the pulpit anything about, you know, somebody that had actually been there, was actually struggling, had actually found healing, um, you know, specifically on the topic of homosexuality. It was always just, you know, it's a perversion. Literally, you know, the word was perversion. Yeah. Um, it's an abomination in the sight of the Lord. I think back now and I just, you know, again, you know, the coulda, woulda, shoulda, you know, doesn't do a whole lot of good, but it is worth bringing up because there's other young mm-hmm. people. There's other 13 year olds out there right now while we're talking about this. Right. We're dealing with this. If I had heard just once somebody such as yourself or somebody, you know, anybody just honestly talking about, you know, this is what I dealt with. This is what God helped me with. It is OK to bring this before the Lord. You know, just even just little crumbs like that could have been could have, could have changed the world for me. But but that didn't happen, you know, and I. Again, I'm not, I don't want to throw this church under the bus. They were wonderful people. They were very kind to me, but I never heard from the pulpit, not as a teenager, not late teens, not early twenties. This kind of thing wasn't ever discussed, you know, and growing up in a small town, my, you know, people just thought of homosexuals as these, you know, these AIDS carrying promiscuous, effeminate, you know, oh my gosh, I can't, you know, why don't they just round up those people kind of a thing? You know, that's, that's where, Mm -hmm. um, and here I am, you know, am I one of those people? If I tell anybody, if my church knew about this, if my youth group that I'm going to on Wednesday night knew about that, I mean, oh my gosh, I would be chased out of there with a pitchfork or at the very least, you know, I barely had friendships at that age anyway. I would lose what few friends I had made by that point, if anybody knew. If I had heard how different it could be, I just think uh, life could have been very different. I could have started a lot, lot, lot sooner in life um, than I actually did. And again, that's nobody else's responsibility but mine. But at the same time, 13, 14, 15, if I had heard just once specifically in the area of sexual brokenness, that there's help out there and that there's hope and that it is okay in the Christian community to talk about this, that could have been a game changer versus you don't talk about this at church. You don't bring the filthy, filthy, filthy stuff in with you. You just, you go there and you worship the Lord and then you deal with your filth outside somewhere. That's pretty much what I thought. Mm Mm-hmm. So like I hear you and, and all the time that I've known you, I've heard this same theme from you. I know that the, the last thing that you want to come across as is any kind of a victim. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that I know that's repulsive to you to, to personally, like you would never embrace that kind of label or live in that space. But the, but you like the statement that you just made of it was no one's responsibility, but mine, that's actually not true. Mm. Uh, you are responsible. I am responsible for my own spiritual well-being. That's true. But as a kid who has been abused as a re- repeatedly as a teenager that is trying to figure out who in the world you are, you're in an environment in a church that uh, of people who who are good people, I get it. Me too, right? right? I grew up in that in very similar space. Good people who love Jesus, who wanted to live their lives in in a way that honored God. And yet, when we're living, when we come together and have these these moments on Sunday mornings of preaching and worship and and in some fashion, you know, celebration around that, all of that's good. But it, when that's almost all that we do, or when when the next, the next deeper thing we do is we might be in a small group or we might be in a Sunday school class. And again, we're taking in more information from the scriptures, which again is really good, but it's not getting to the heart of the matter for anyone. Uh, we're all kind of hiding behind our intellectual understanding of the Bible uh, and, 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 and maybe enjoying that banter and that discussion. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the pro- what's wrong is when that's as deep as it goes. Right. And so... 
yeah. And so when you, you mentioned that it's no one's responsibility, but mine, yes, there's a sense in which, um, you are responsible for seeking out the help. Uh, and, and so was I, and, but also the church is responsible for making an environment that is reflective of reality, meaning that people in the church have been wrestling with sexual sin for for forever, right? Mm-hmm. And in and, and one form or another, whether that's um, sex before marriage, whether that's adultery, whether that is, I mean, Jesus is obviously talking about it in, in the New Testament, um, adultery, fornication, right. and lust. And so the, the church has been dealing with these issues for forever. And one of the things I'm thinking of, I want to shift to just a minute, is it's interesting that when you were a kid and I'm older than you, and and when I was a kid, there were there were never any uh, testimonies growing up of anybody breaking out of these um, areas of sin or struggle, and uh, or anything even close to it. Right. And uh, and for, when I was a kid, there was never even a message about pornography or sexual sin or any of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, some allusion to uh, or, or alluding to just how wicked and awful it is, as you've you've said as well. And uh, but. What I find is that even though everybody now is talking about sex and identity and sexuality and, you know, everything under the sun about these issues, the church is really now really forced in many ways to finally begin to somehow address the issues. And there's certain churches that are that are doing, you know, maybe a, a, a several week series on sexuality once a year. Uh, and, and that's I'm glad that they're doing that. But the problem is, is that it's not. The, the content isn't sufficient. And also simply hearing um, the truth of the wrongness of it and mm-hmm. the sin of it doesn't actually, that's, that is information we need, no doubt about it. It's right. foundational, but it's not someone's story of how God met them and brought them through it in the context of community or anything else. So I, I still feel like, you know, we are just as deprived today, almost as much deprived today of hearing the stories of life change as you were when you were a kid, as I was when I was a kid, when my parents were children. So, you know, that really does need to shift and change. I don't know. Do you have thoughts around that? Yeah, I have a couple Our stories, of basically. Um, first off, because, you know, I have gone to, um, 12 step groups from time to time, specifically for sex addiction. Um, and I've heard people and I, and it's sad, you know, but I've literally heard people several times say, you know, I felt like I could go to church and okay. Yeah. I could talk about that. I used to be an alcoholic and people are gathering around me and they're blessing me and they're so glad that I'm there and that that's not my life anymore. I could talk Mm -hmm. about, I used to be a drug addict, you know, and same thing, you know, Christians, very warm, very receptive. I used to deal with sex addiction or I'm currently a sex addict or, these are the things, you know, sexually, the brokenness that I had in my life. All of a sudden, the, the temperature in the room drops and people are kind of staring at you. And there, there's just this subtle, mm-hmm. subtle wall that comes up. That is not some, for the most part, I want to be fair. You know, there are some churches here and there who are doing a very good job and God bless them. But for the most part, people right. do not feel comfortable. Christians, Bible-believing Christians don't feel comfortable and have the freedom to talk about th- these things specifically in church, let alone somebody that's hurting and is looking for answers would be completely open to hearing about Jesus and the hope that's there. And they have to go to a secular 12 step group to get some sort of quote unquote spirituality, talk to a quote unquote higher power. That's the crumbs that they have to live on because they don't feel the freedom to be able to come to church and find what they need there. But also to be fair, and this is where God has really blessed me when I finally at age 37 got it through my head that I cannot do this alone because Lord knows I've been trying, I'm listening to podcasts and I'm reading books and I'm trying this self-help and this and that and the other thing. 
I finally go to a Christian men's group. I will say that within that community, um, there was a lot of healing there. And these guys were very, very warm, very, you know, even after, after many, many months, I finally get truthful about the fact that, you know, same sex attraction was still a reality in my life. And, oh, by the way, it wasn't just pornography that I was into when I was young. I was into a whole lot of other things uh, that I've never suspiciously, you know, never bothered to tell you all about, but I finally come clean about all of this. And you know what? They didn't, it didn't phase them. They, I mean, they weren't affirming, they weren't, you know, mm. minimizing it, but at the same time, very, very accepting, very, very warm, calling to check on me. So glad to see me the next time that I was there. This big old nightmare that I built up in my mind of how horrible it was going to be to talk to them. It, it was the complete opposite. And that one of many to come, but that was one of the, you know, very big watershed moments of my life is when I finally, finally, in a safe Christian community, was able to share some of my stuff. That was the first um, kind of sledgehammer that God started breaking in that wall that I had built up. Yeah, absolutely. I love what you're sharing there, Jeremiah. And I know for me, I don't know if you can think back and and you have some similar memories, but I know that I growing up in church, which you didn't uh, have that experience uh, it, it, as early as I did, at least that. I had enough bad experiences with hearing about people gossiping in the church, knowing that people were gossiping about certain ones and it going unaddressed and people just learn not to trust. There's a certain person that, that gained a reputation of that. And so people just wouldn't talk to that person. Mm -hmm. There was never any confrontation is there. And I mean, loving confrontation, but there was never any confrontation there. And so that just, kept getting swept under the carpet. And, and so I never really had, um, uh, saw where that was actually, that sin was addressed in a way that was productive, that, that for the sake of the body, for the sake of the church, as well as for the sake of the individual, that there was, there were actually hard conversations with people about those issues. Instead, it was like everything was nice, nice, and yet we all knew it wasn't nice, nice with certain people mm -hmm. in, for a variety of different things, but it wasn't brought up or talked about. And so part of what I grew to feel as a young person who saw the modeling, heard lots of truth, but then saw an opposite kind of modeling as to what we're supposed to do with one another in the body of Christ and how we relate to each other. And so the modeling that I saw in a, in a few, very few specific situations tainted the entire church experience for me and it tainted it going forward. So I, so I believed even into my adulthood that it wasn't safe to be open and vulnerable. And I, again, had some experiences, <clears throat> both a couple of experiences with pastors and with others in Christian leadership that were really negative experiences mm -hmm. when I tried to get the help and support that I was, I, you know, stammering around trying to find. And, and so that really reinforced and the, the enemy used that in my own flesh, also agreeing with it to just drive down any uh, desire or um, I, I'm like, I'm never going to make that mistake again, basically. Right, right. And so I went for years, even decades without opening up to anybody until finally I did, right? Until finally mm -hmm. I opened up and shared with this men's group as well. And I, God brought some, some faithful uh, mentors into my life mm -hmm. who I was able to open up and share with. But it was really difficult to do that because I'd had a couple of really bad experiences that tainted it for me going forward. Did you have any of that? I mean, you mentioned 
the 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 situation with that couple and and the man uh, saying something so negative about homosexuals and so that is kind of what I'm talking about. But did you have that in the church at all? Um, luckily for me, and I and I I shouldn't say luckily. I'm I'm going to say that I was blessed. Um, not at all whatsoever yeah. to take away from everything that you just shared because I know that unfortunately that's the that's the norm, not the exception. In my case for me, when I have actually shared with Christian people, I'm very blessed. And I thank God 100% of the time Mm -hmm. for me, they've been very, very receptive, very supportive. Um, That's been my experience. And I, and I praise the Lord for that. Unfortunately, with as much as I've heard and speaking to people and talking to other people and hearing their stories, I'm blessed. That's my story. That's how it happened for me. That's not what happens the vast majority of the time for people when they do try to come forward Mm -hmm. and they do try to get help or they try to talk about these things at church, a lot of times it's exactly what you just described. And the tragedy of it is, you know, this might be the one time that somebody's going to reach out the one time they're finally, you know, they've got the nerve up and they're going to reach out for help. And then they have an experience of what you just talked about. And then it's like you just said, never again, I will never make that mistake again. And the thing about it, you know, as, as, as I'm kind of processing it through and talking about it with you now, I think that a lot of that would have been God's mercy. Cause I'll tell you, you know, as, as, as caught up in shame as I already was, if I had reached out, mm and had an experience like what you just described, I'm telling you right now, I know me and I know how my mind works. Never, never, never again. It wouldn't matter how dire it got. It wouldn't matter how bad off I was. Literally, I'm at the point of suicide. And considering that versus ever making, you know, trying to reach out and having it blow up on me like that. So I think in a lot of ways it was God's mercy because that's something I never would have come back from if that had happened to me. Well, you know, as as I think about what you're sharing, Honestly, I, I'm kind of reflecting in in a little bit of a fresh way on on the idea that I think more than anything else, the reason that I had bad experiences, and I'll just speak for myself, I, I imagine this is quite true for others too, but I don't know for sure. But I think a lot of the reasons I had bad experiences is because the people that I reached out to were the only ones I knew to reach out to. Again, some pastors, Christian leaders, and they they didn't, the experience was bad. I think largely because they were so uncomfortable because there was zero equipping. And, and also like sexual sin had always been thought of as, as just this, it is, is merely being perversion and, and it is a kind of perversion, sexual sin, right? but it's, it's a perversion of God's design for us mm-hmm. and, and, and the, the mechanism in which he means for sex to be experienced, you know, in his economy and in his design, it's between one man and one woman in the context of uh, marital covenant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, but, but I think people had that idea in their minds of nothing other than perversion rather than understanding that at the root of sexual sin and brokenness and addiction is often usually uh, an, an emotional deprivation of some kind, an right. emotional brokenness. A, it, it's, it's so much deeper than just that people want to go out and just have sex. I mean, of course, lust is a thing. And, and the fact that sex is an incredibly uh, pleasurable experience is in, in, in many cases, most cases that, uh, you know, that plays a role in it for sure. But so often it's really rooted in these deep, deep emotional longings and this desire for bonding, this desire to form connection and attachment. And, 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 and we start taking 
our longings and desires, the, that emptiness, we try filling it with all kinds of stuff, whether that's food or alcohol or drugs or, um, yep. or busyness or, or an adrenaline rush, you know, constantly always looking for the next adrenaline rush or the next deal they were going to make or sex, right? And, or something involving that. So it's, but, but I think that so much of where people have mishandled or not handled well a young person looking for that help and support is they've just not been equipped by the church. They've not, and I'm saying pastors have not been equipped by the church. I talk to pastors all the time and ask them in seminary, uh, for those that went to seminary or went to Bible college, how many courses did you have on walking with people mm-hmm. in in areas of sexual struggle or and they didn't they didn't have like a single course they might have had one course on human sexuality that was very um, uh, rooted in in facts and and you know biology basically right. but they didn't have anything meaningful that would help them in their own struggle and process and that could translate into how to help others and in the day that we're living in my goodness. I feel like half the courses that people are t- taking in Bible college or a good chunk of of the uh, credit hours need to be around how do you walk with people in their places of wounding yes. and, and how do you how can you be effective and prepared to give good answers uh, and ask good questions about these topics and and it has to be that way and I'm and I and I'm not being melodramatic here it has to be that way because okay we're in 2023 yep. sexual brokenness is all over the place whether we want it to be or not we can wish the world was different till the yep. cows come home this is the reality of where we're at and i mean the church generally speaking has treated sexual stuff as okay it's just a moral failing which of course it is it's a moral failing partly but that's no other context it's a moral failing number 1 and it's not going to be discussed number 2 Let's talk about sexual abuse for a minute. So let's leave out just for a moment pornography or, you know, homosexuality or any of these other overt actions. Mm -hmm. What about people that have been put through sexual abuse? How are pastors being equipped just to be able to help them? And in my case, you know, if I could if I could have gotten some help early on, you know, when puberty's first starting before I start down the whole ruinous freaking way of living with, you know, with the sexual acting out and just reinforcing and reinforcing and getting even more into bondage, if I'd had some intervention earlier in life, if that had been available at the church, if I had had a pastor or a congregation member, even that specialized in these things, if the minister had been equipped whatsoever for a sexual abuse victim, let's just start talking about that. Yep. But then let also at the same time, you know, it's 2023, there's, there's kids who are dealing with transgenderism. There's, there's kids who are dealing with, you know, smartphones and they've seen just about every form of depravity imaginable. I mean, at least, you know, when we were kids, you know, you had to seek out a magazine or a videotape or, you know, you really kind of had to work for it if you're going to find pornography. Now it's yeah. li- every everything that you could literally imagine is at your fingertips with a smartphone or a high-speed internet. Mm-hmm. This is what children are dealing with now. Yeah. The church is either going to have to get equipped like yesterday to d- be able to deal with these issues and bring Christ into that or we're going to be sidelined. We're going to be, you know, people are not going to come to us for answers because we have no, and I'm including myself here as well. I'm not sitting on my throne thinking that, you know, I'm some big shot. I need to be better equipped. All of us, whether we're ministers or not, I mean, forget about the title. If we're a part of the body of Christ, we're supposed to be a light to the world. We're supposed to be the salt that Jesus talks about. We have to, at least on some level, be able to deal with these things and be able to bring some hope and bring, you know, because ultimately Jesus Christ is the answer. Counseling helps, therapy helps. I mean, all of those things are good, but for real authentic transformation. And I know you talk about that a lot, Gary, you know, environments that are both safe and transformational. We're not talking about just 
quote unquote, being sober. That's important. We're not just talking about, okay, I haven't looked at pornography in five years. That's great. But I'm just, quote, you know, basically a dry drunk at this point because I've never really had the heart change. What about transformation? What about that? Right. You know, there's something that only Jesus can do. Absolutely. But we're dropping the ball, at least in, the, yeah, in America. Mm-hmm. And what about, and I think part of that discussion about what about transformation, great question, is in, adi- in addition to what about the transformation, what about the fact that God wants us, each of his sons and daughters, to be used in vital ministry for eternal purposes? Who's living into that? You know, how are we really helping uh, uh, our discipling uh, mm-hmm. men and women in our churches, young people in our churches to really live into that much, much uh, more glorious call mm-hmm. than what we even imagine uh, we we have before us. I mean, it's so much more rich to and, and glorious and fulfilling to lean into the way that God desires to use us in, in the kingdom for eternal purposes than it is to, you know, seek out our next orgasm or looking for our next sexual partner or right. looking for the, you know, the, the, the porn uh, that's going to, you know, uh, fit the bill today or whatever. It's it, there, that is there. We go on those hunts to fill up the emptiness on the inside mm-hmm. or to salve over the pain that we're feeling in some way or another when God instead um, is extending uh, real meaning and real value to us. And we are just lost in, in not understanding that he's not just being prudish. He wants to protect mm-hmm. us, but even beyond protecting us or in addition to protecting us, he wants to give us real meaning and real value. And and we miss it because we're just out pursuing these other things. So, and again, the church is the one place that should be talking about this and really equipping people right. young mm-hmm. and older to, mm-hmm. to live into the, the fullness of this. I'd love though, Jeremiah, in your story, you talked about uh, the men's groups and and getting connected there and finally opening up to them and it taking quite a while. You were, you were talking about, like you alluded to the idea that you were talking about pornography and those kinds of things. Like I'm sure a number of guys probably were, mm-hmm. but you didn't name it. You didn't talk about same-sex attraction and that kind of stuff. And then finally you did talk about that right. and your experience of that was they were, that they were gracious and they were, they didn't ostracize you. They didn't treat you badly. I mean, you found real ministry Mm -hmm. there in those places. And, and I'd love for you to pick up the story a little bit because when you and I first got connected, it was, it was because Melissa and I were doing a, a training at a church in the area and somebody that, you know, happened to be there hearing us happened, you know, uh, it's just like, as if there were any coincidences with God. Oh, right. Could you pick up and share a little bit of that story? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the long and short of that. So I grew so this Christian men's group that I was a part of now, these were, these were Christian men, authentic Christian men, you know, but they, they had struggled with pornography in their life. So, um, it was based off of Nate Larkin's book, the Samson society and, you know, the small group. So that's kind of the curriculum Mm. that they picked up and then it kind of evolved from there. We did the conquer series at one point, but anyway, so these guys were all getting together. So I, uh, by this point, I'd finally gotten it in my head. I cannot, you know, I cannot conquer this problem on my own. So I show up there, but I'd already, before I even walked in the door the first time, they're not going to know about the whole gay thing that is off the table. They're not going to know about the sexual promiscuity in my early years. That's also off the table. So those are going to be my two conditions. God, if you really expect me to do this, I go in there and holy crud. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're so authentic. They're honest. I'm wait, 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 wait. Christians talk about masturbation. What? I mean, seriously, this is what you all do here. And it wasn't, you know, nobody's being um, salacious or anything. It was just, they were being very honest about what was going on with them when they had had a fall, you know, kind of what was bringing them into that. 
I didn't say anything the first several times. Then I start opening up a little bit. Well, oh, okay. Well, these guys deal with porn, so I could. I'll, I'll talk about porn. Oh, I'm not going to mention that it was gay porn that I was looking at, but I'll, I'll talk about porn a little bit. I'll I'll pre-rehearse in my mind what I'm going to say here. So yes, I'm being quote unquote honest. I'm sort of being quote unquote transparent. I'm doing what God calls us to do, right, Gary? Um, completely full of it mm-hmm. the whole time. Sort of. I, Sort of, you know, sort of just kind of a drib and a drab, as they say. Um, I get an accountability partner after about six months. And again, you know, there's been so many people in my life, my godparents, you for sure. But my friend Jim, you know, and he he initiated it. I never I never would have asked. I never would have. um, But he offered, you know, hey, you know, can we check in once a week? I would really love to be able to help you. You could definitely help me. So we start doing our weekend uh, or our weekly calls again, fully open, fully honest. I mean, telling me exactly what's going on not holding anything back. So I'm, you know, and we'll pray together and I'm sort of telling him stuff, but I, I, I felt like garbage at that point. I'm like, you know, here he is taking his time out. He's got, you know, he's got a family, he's got a full-time job, but he's talking to me every week, being honest with me, bringing all his stuff out into the light. And what am I doing? So took about six months and I can still remember it to this day. You know, I go and I park behind a Walmart in my truck because I was so nervous. I didn't even want to be like driving while I'm talking to him. Um, so we start our phone call and I said, look, okay, there's some things that I need to tell you. So I sort of stump, stammer it out, you know, same sex attraction and, you know, the early years and some of these things. And I'm like, and I'm, you know, again, shame on me for, for prejudging, you know, I'm waiting. Okay. Well, it's been great to know you, Jeremiah, but I'm kind of not equipped to deal with this. Uh, best of luck to you. Hope things are well. Th- this is what I was expecting to have happen. This guy couldn't have been kinder. This guy could not have been more compassionate. Hmm. Um, what I needed were for where I was at at that stage in my life in that moment, this was Jesus speaking through this guy. And I needed that. Mm. We go to the main group, you know, a few weeks later, finally one morning, you know, I kind of spill it and, you know, tell the rest of them what had been going on. And it was the same thing. So this is literally where um, James 16 talks about, you know, confess your sins to one another. Because it wasn't just about the confession. That was important. Me finally getting honest with all my crap. That was important to, you know, to, to start breaking apart that false image that I brought up. But also having, you know, getting to experience the love of these guys. Now, Gary, these, these were these were heterosexual men. You know, as far, as far as I know, none of them had ever dealt with same-sex attraction. Their issue had been porn, but they hadn't been sexually acting out to the level that I had. You know, they, they, they'd not gone to the to the depravity that I've gotten to, not even close. <clears throat> so that, you know, in some, some ways, maybe they couldn't have related. But that did not phase them. They were just as kind and compassionate and Christ-like as they could have been. I, I, I desperately needed that. But So here's what happens, though, you know, so... You know, fast forward a couple of years, you know, I'm getting more free. I'm getting more free. I'm able to, you know, be honest in the groups. And by the way, it wasn't just, um, you know, kind, kind, kind all the time. They would hold my feet to the fire. They would call me on my BS. They would, you know, when I'm making bad decisions, they would be the first ones to tell me. So it wasn't as as if it was, it was, as you would say, it was love and truth at the same time. It wasn't hammering the one or hammering the other. I was getting both. So I get the pornography under control. You know, emotionally, I'm getting to a lot better place. Um, You know, I'm not constantly, constantly, constantly caught up in the sexual sin. And I'm like, well, all right. Um, so what happens next? Yeah. This is great that I'm not addicted to these things anymore, but shouldn't there be more? I mean, I'm, I'm still dealing with a lot of unforgiveness. I'm still dealing with a lot of self-hatred. Um, not able to deal with memories of childhood very well, but my mind goes to, okay, well, uh, God's already given you a million and one chances and he's already blessed you in ways that you don't even deserve at this point. So, Gary, what ended up happening was uh, one of the gentlemen that went to this group, um, he was attending his church one morning and you and Melissa were there as guest speakers and you were sharing some of your background and your story and what the Lord had brought you out of. So that same day as he's driving home, I get a phone call. He's like, "Okay, 
This is what just happened. Um, you need to call this guy. Here's the name of the ministry. Here's what you, but I'm telling you, you know, and I really feel like this is from the Lord. You need to talk to this person. You know, so we're having a, oh, heck no. I mean, I, it took everything within me to open up to you guys. You think some total stranger I've never even met and I'm going to go talking to them. Okay. But my mistake was I told him as a man, okay, yes, I'll do that. I'll give him a call thinking he would forget about it a day later, of course. Right. Right. He didn't forget about it a day later. So, you know, he, have you called him yet? Have you called, Hey, Jeremiah, you know, you promised me, I really, I really think this could be good for you. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, can you just forget about it already? I don't want to talk to this person. So very bravely. Okay. I don't even give you a call. I, I finally log on to love and truth networks website. I send this very vague, tiny little paragraph, send it off to you. And I'm like, all right, well, I did my part. Um, I can tell my friend here. Yes. I, I contacted the ministry. I'm just waiting to hear back. I'm assuming on your end, you know, cause it was so generic what I had sent that weeks and weeks, I'll get a, a automated response back offering to send me a brochure or something like that. This is what I picture in my mind. Very next morning, I get an email back from Gary Ingram. Hey, uh, got your email. Um, I, I, I do need to get more details. I'm not sure if I could really offer you some help or not, but I would really like to help if I can. Are you available to get together for coffee? <laughs> Everything goes, okay, what excuse can I use? How can I sleaze out of this? I've already told my friends that I'd reached out to you. So how, any, anyway, um, my first instinct though was like trying to figure out a way out, but then, okay. And I think this is probably from the Lord. It was like, okay, just stop. Just knock it off already. He didn't reach out to you. You reached out to him. He's offering to take time out of his schedule to meet with you. Can you just maybe man up and show up at, and have the courtesy at least to do that? So kind of self-scolding a little bit. But yeah, I met with you uh, the next day. And to this day, I don't know what your first impression was. Maybe you can share that with our <laughs> with our listeners. I know I sat there and I'm sort of stuttering and sort of stammering and sort of, you know, I can't make eye contact with you and I'm looking everywhere else but you, but kind of was able to share some of my story a little bit. And what did strike me though is, you know, you weren't... Uh, you know, I am kind of studying you from the periphery. Okay, I, is he going to tense up? I'm looking at your body language. Am I making this guy uncomfortable? Am I oversharing here? Uh, should I just end this because this was a horrible idea to begin with? I mean, I'm trying to talk to you, but I've got all the shame and all these all these thoughts going through my mind. You weren't phased at all. Um, wasn't wasn't anything earth shattering. I know since then, of course, you know it's not anything that you hadn't heard before. But in that moment because I didn't know you and I'd never shared with a stranger like this before in, in quite such detail. And my, right. I was again, just expecting the end of the world. But the fact that not only did that not happen, but you know, you agreed to meet with me on a weekly basis. Uh, you were very honest. Okay. It wasn't going to be just getting together for coffee. There was going to be some hard work um, coming up. There was going to be a lot of places that I probably wasn't really wanting to look at, but we would need to um, get into at some point. So you were very honest about that. You didn't sugarcoat it, but also, you offered a different perspective and you offered to me a different way of pursuing Christianity. So it isn't just, okay, I've got my spirituality here and I've got all my freaking problems over here and I can't, you know, Jesus is, Jesus is going to be the, my eternal life. You know, of course he's going to take me to heaven when I die. But in the meantime, all the stuff I'm dealing with in this life, I'm just going to have to figure it out. That's where my mind, mindset was. You were the one that mm -hmm. really offered a different way for somebody in my situation. And that was the first time for me that that had happened. Well, and I remember feeling very, uh, just feeling like you were doing a great job of, of being courageous and, and just putting it out there. I mean, you were, I, I know from conversations we've had and the one we're having now that it was pretty mm -hmm. nerve wracking and uh, to begin with, and even the, the thoughts of what it might be like before we even met and those kind of things, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff is running through your mind just as mm -hmm. it has with me in the past. And when I was seeking help and support. And, 
but when you were when you were sharing, you know, your life and your story, there, I think again, you were doing a great job of that. I do remember the one thing that came up right away. I mean, pretty quickly. What I think even maybe the very first time we talked was how much you despised who oh, you were as yes. a child, and and just how yeah, and how you had really disconnected. Uh, in, in in every way, it wasn't just that you didn't like yourself. It wasn't just that you, um, you know, had kind of a neutral feeling, but you really hated the little boy. You really hated mm-hmm. who you were as a child and the vulnerability, but you took it on as, as so much of it you took on as really almost like it was your fault. On the one hand, you understood that other people did things that were very wrong. But on the other hand, it was like the person who you most despised in all of those situations Absolutely. was yourself. And, and so that, you know, that became very clear very quickly that, um, that there needed to be over time and, you know, you don't get there overnight. You don't get there in a week or a month or whatever. It takes real time to come to a place of being willing to resolve that, um, that self-hatred and, and to let yourself off the hook and, and really invite the Lord to take on the Lord's perspective of you as a, as a boy uh, that, that, that gave you mercy, grace, uh, compassion, frankly. And, and I just remember that being a, a theme really quickly that, that kind of launched our, our time together oh, as sure. well. That, I will say as far as strongholds in my life, as bad as the sex addiction was, as bad as everything else, but that just, I mean, just absolute, um, I, I can still look back and just, you know, remember how all of that felt, you know, but it was, it was just this on a scale of one to 10, this was a a 150 absolute hating who I was as a child. My perception was, you know, that I was weak, that I was just this little Mm -hmm. B word that, you know, that I would cower down instead of fighting back, that I was a crybaby, that I was this, that I was that. I mean, I could have given you a hundred adjectives that did describe how I was. And I absolutely loathed being that child. I despised being that young teenager. I, I hated everything about what I thought mm-hmm. I was back then. And I just made the decision. I'm not going to be that person anymore. I'm going to be somebody else. But that, that we worked through a lot, yeah. you and me, and there was a lot that you had to bring through. But I would say that was probably one of the hardest and it took a long time, but that was one of the most challenging um, resolving that, that, that I've to this day that I've had to deal with so far. Well, and I'm thinking of those that are listening or watching our podcast together, and and I I, I really feel like this is a great time to um, to kind of highlight so much of what you now know and what we talk about a great deal, and and really what came to us through our experience, Melissa and me, through our experience of Living Waters, uh, the program that Andy Kaminsky wrote many years ago, decades ago now, uh, and he's the founder and and director of uh desert stream ministries and he wrote this program called uh living waters that we will be launching here in just a few weeks again or mm-hmm. a month or so here again in the phoenix area and and so much of what we've grown to understand through that ministry is it, it comes right back to what we're talking about with you in, in that situation of self-hate. And I, I dealt with a lot of self-hatred as well, but I'd say that your, your sense was so pernicious against yourself and, and so reinforced uh, and deeply, deeply, deeply emotional. I mean, to the point of, 
I'd say I mean, for sure that it was really, you had really taken vows mm-hmm. against yourself uh, and, and, and yourself as a little boy. And, and so much so it was almost like in, in many respects, it was almost as if you had so detached, like it was almost like you were mm-hmm. two different people. And I know obviously somebody listening to this may think, well, that sounds weird or what, but it was, there was such, such animosity against yourself mm-hmm. as that kid who had received so much abuse. And now as a, an adult man, you had, and, and, and growing out of, uh, you know, being a teenager into early adulthood and those kinds of things, it was as if you had, um, you would, you started living a whole different life in a sense, like finally the successful life, finally, you know, this having fam, a family and all that kind of thing. And, and yet, um, what, what we understood through what we've understood through programs like living waters and, you know, other, uh, other inner healing kind of programs and material books is that there's no way that we as adults can actually find real freedom and genuine healing when we have such, um, such broken attitudes against right. ourselves and, and unresolved issues. You know, we, it's like, we just want to, we don't want to throw everything in the casket and we want to stick it mm-hmm. six feet under and throw that dirt on top of it and just be done with it and move on. And frankly, lots of Christians do that. And lots of Christians misapply Paul's words of forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead. And they're ignoring the fact that Paul is talking about all of his accomplishments in that passage, not not all the things that are are areas that he he right. needs to receive God's grace in or God's healing in. And and so um, we just want to be done with it because mm-hmm. it's painful. Like we, I mean, why would I want to go back and look at that crap? Why would I want anybody else messing around with all that stuff that's painful? But here's the reason. It's because it's still there. It's like um, it's not dead. It we we've buried it and we stuck it six feet under, but it is absolutely affecting and infecting so much of the way that we live and the relationships, especially the closest right. relationships around us. And so that I think your that description of how much animosity you felt against yourself as a kid is a is a is a good example of the work that God had ahead for you over the course of, mm. of several years. And I think you're still in that process. I'm still in, in a growing process of freedom. And, and but you've come a long way in that and in, in that res, uh, resolving and coming to a place of even giving yourself some compassion and grace as a right. child. And that, <clears throat> that took a long time. But one of the biggest realizations through programs like Living Waters, meeting with you, some of the stuff I've done since and you know, is the realization that, okay, whether or not I like the child that I was it, it, it is irrelevant. God loves that little boy and God created that. I shouldn't speak about mm-hmm. myself in the third person. You know, God created me as a child a certain way. You know, the book of Jeremiah tells us, he, you know, he knits us together in our mother's womb. He's not interested in my costume. He's not interested in, you know, this, <clears throat> this whole other persona that I tried to live out. He he's interested in the person that he actually authentically made. And not only that restoration, healing what needed to be healing and, and, you know, restoring the whole entire word implies, you know, kind of refilling something that was there to begin with, but got sidetracked. What about people like me, you know, some of these places that were never filled in the first place, for example, never having a father around, never even having just that basic foundation or, you know, uh, such a thing as sexual innocence. I'm, I knew things about at least about homosexual sex at age six in very graphic detail 
what about sexual innocence mm-hmm. for a child? You know, something that I, that I never got to experience. And this, this is just my story. There's a whole lot of other ones out there. What I can tell people though, is as hard as it yep. is to go through all of that, and you don't, you don't have to stay there. It's not a lifelong process, but at the same time, God's willingness to restore what was taken to fill in the gaps that were never put there in the first place to bring us to a place where we actually have compassion on ourselves, upon the people that we were then about the people that we are now. And that is a miracle because that I could have, you know, tried all the self affirmations and done all the, you know, the mental gymnastics that I could, it literally took the Lord to be able to break that off of me because the, 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 the the sheer amount of literal hate I'm talking, I'm not talking dislike. I'm not talking shame. I hated who I was as a kid. Mm -hmm. And only the power yeah. of Christ could break yeah. that. Well, and I think, yeah. Well, and it, that's right. The power of Christ, absolutely. And what we experienced in Living Waters and in other uh, groups is is in, in walking with some other brothers, in our case, for my wife and other women that we know, walking mm-hmm. with other sisters in some really um, particularly um, open and vulnerable ways, it's been the Lord pouring out through right. our brothers. It's been the Lord pouring out, uh, through, through those that are willing to share their stuff with us and, and those that are willing and, and not just willing, but desirous to see us, uh, to be a part of our process so that we don't have to go back to those places alone, uh, that we don't have to face that pain apart mm-hmm. from community. It's so vital that we have community. And, you know, actually when you were sharing a moment ago, I, I just had this uh, this thought of uh, in terms of that idea of like burying our old our our, mm-hmm. our child uh, or our childhood or different aspects of who we were and just wanting to move on is you were sharing something else I don't remember exactly what it was but the the flash that went through my mind is when God is talking with Cain and and of course Cain of course rose up and killed his right. brother Abel and 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 what happened what we read prior to that is that Cain was jealous basically jealous and angry because Abel's sacrifice was acceptable to God mm. and Cain's was not and 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 so for whatever reason out of anger obviously out of jealousy what have you Cain uh, rises up and and kills his brother and then God is asking him Cain where where is Abel at where is your brother and he's and that's where we you know that famous am I my brother's right. keeper uh, is 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 what you know Abel put or Cain uh, puts out but the and honestly I think in a similar this this is extrapolating this isn't saying oh this is what God was talking about God was addressing the literal historic issue of Cain killing his brother. But I think there are times that we we behave the same way toward ourselves, that we actually, again, out of hatred, self-hatred, yep. whatever, we we in in many ways, um, don't we don't maybe we don't know that we're doing it exactly, but we are killing ourselves and burying ourselves because we don't like who we once were, or we just want to be rid of who we once were, which I think many people can wrestle mm-hmm. and struggle with that and have, you know, for, for a variety of reasons. I think often people who have been sexually abused and, and they just want to be rid of those memories or they, uh, they, they want to suppress that, the, the, the horrible experience of that, which is completely oh, yes. understandable. But the, the pain of the sin of somebody else causes us to hate ourselves and causes us to detach from ourselves. And in a sense, we actually do kind of, we try to um, cut off or kill that part of who we were and bury it. When in fact, God is, I think God today as adults would say, where is 
scary. Mm-hmm. You know, where where's Jeremiah? Where where is this one who really is an integrated part of who you are that you're trying to to cut off and, and separate? And I'm I'm talking about this now, thinking there may be some people who are listening to what we're sharing who are dealing with um, those very things. They they recognize uh, they might even be angry that we're even talking about this kind of thing because. They don't want to even think about the idea that they have to go back and and process through stuff from childhood or process any of this with a counselor or with um, a pastor or with um, you know brothers or sisters in Christ in the body of Christ. So I just think that that's a, a very real issue that sometimes we do. And even as I was saying that, I'm thinking to the trans community and thinking about what you know how that's even further kind of like shoved right in God's face that, A, you've made me this way. I don't care that you made me this way, or I don't believe in you to begin with. And I'm just going to remake myself in any, any way that I want to. But it's interesting how, uh, you know, there's even, there's people are being castigated and, and treated uh, badly because they will not call somebody by their new pr- preferred right. pronouns <clears throat> or this new name. And they refer to, the, to their old name mm-hmm. as their dead name. Well, I mean, that's, that's exactly what we're talking Absolutely. about in a more extreme mm-hmm. way, right? That's kind of, yeah. yeah, there's a lot there that, you, that you'd address. I'll, let me double back for a minute. For anybody listening who is dealing with, you know, whether it's just shame about who you were as a kid, how you were brought up, you know, even, you know, it doesn't even have to be extreme sexual stuff. A lot of people, they grew up in very, very um, extreme poverty. So there's a lot of shame around that, a lot of imposter syndrome, a lot of feeling mm-hmm. like, you know, they're not good enough, or even if they've accomplished things in life since then, that it's all fake or whatever. I just want to tell anyone out there who's dealing any of that, whether it's poverty, sexual abuse, anything, yep. that th- it doesn't have to be the prison, number one. And I will tell you, if you really are going to authentically follow Christ, if you really do make that, com- that commitment, part of picking up the cross and following him is, you know, at some point, Jesus is going to want to deal with this because it isn't that... You know, he's just fixated on that. He knows it's keeping us. He knew, he knew, I'll speak for me. He knew it was keeping me bound. It was an absolute anchor mm-hmm. that was going to drown me at some point, but it was also keeping me from moving forward. He loved me too much to let me just stay there as much as I fought against it. But that was the reason for that. But the number two one, Gary, and this is where uh, I would invite you to speak into this as well. He absolutely insists for a lot of this that it be done in community. I wanted the mountaintop. I wanted to just, okay, God, fine. I'll talk to you about all of this. I'll just me and you on a mountain somewhere and I'll pray all this stuff out and you can wave a magic wand and heal me. And, you know, I'm okay with that. Please don't ask me to have to talk about this with people. No, there are some things God will do for us one-on-one, but for the most part, Jesus insists that a lot of this stuff be done within his body, within the Christian, within community, healthy brothers and sisters, of course, use, use good discernment, but he it's not negotiable. It's not, okay, well, maybe possibly. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. Please join us next week for part two of this interview. 